I really like the Jurassic Park movies. The, the original three were better than the, the more recent ones, but have you noticed how it's the same story every time? Oh no, the dinosaurs got out. That's, that's it. I mean, they sit in a meeting, they say, hey guys, we need another Jurassic Park movie. What should we do? How about the dinosaurs get out? It's worked five times already. Let's do it again. It's the same story over and over, but we watch it, you know? Uh, or if you're a Star Wars fan, the original four, five, and six, I mean, four and six, spoiler alert, they're the same movie, right? Oh no, it's a Death Star, and we got to get rid of it. But yet we watch it, and we love it. Or my least favorite would be Hannah's favorite, which is romantic comedies. They're the same. Are you telling me the guy and the girl hate each other right now? Yes. And they work together? Yes. And then they have a project where they have to be around each other? Yes. And then, surprise, they fall in love. And it's the same thing over and over. The faces change, it's the story, but it's the same. Well, our story this week in Exodus 16 feels a little bit like watching the same thing over. It's like it's just sort of been processed a little bit differently, new faces, but it's the same story. Because we have some dissatisfaction in our circumstances. We have some doubting of God's plan for provision, both of which lead to the Israelites grumbling again. It's the same story, but a different scenario. And yet, as we saw last week, in response to this grumbling, God still provides for his people. He graciously gives what his people need. Now, I think today's text is probably fairly familiar to us. I think this, you know, the whole bread from heaven story, probably learned it in Sunday school. And there's a temptation, I think, to present a text like this more about us and the morals of the story, about trusting God and things like that. Uh, But I don't want us to see the story as only a reminder to trust God's daily provision, though that is certainly important, and we'll talk about that. I also don't want us to see it as only a story about the people's repeated sin, though that is also important in there. But Exodus 16 is a story fundamentally about God. It's about God, who He is, what He does for His people, and how He provides for them. So my aim today is to preach this text with that truth in mind, being careful for us to to keep our focus upon the Lord and on his gracious provision of both physical and spiritual nourishment for his people. So what I want us to see today as our main idea is that just as God provided bread from heaven in the wilderness, so he provided the bread of life in his Son. Just as he provided bread from heaven in the wilderness, that's the Exodus 16 portion, so he provided the bread of life in his son, which we'll see in John chapter 6. So if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word, I want to read for us Exodus 16, only the first 12 verses to get us going, and then we're going to turn over and I want to read a few from chapter 6 of John. So Exodus 16, beginning in verse 1, if you're there, say word. Excellent. The word says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. Uh, Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Verse 4, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now turn over to John chapter 6 for a moment. Beginning in verse 25, <clears throat> excuse me, this is Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 25, when the crowds had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we pause to acknowledge that we are in desperate need of the bread of life. We need what has been provided to us in Christ, and as those who have received it, we gather here to, to hear from your word, to be reminded of, of the goodness that you've shown to us. So speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Soften our hearts. Help us not to be hard-hearted grumblers, but soft-hearted, thankful, gracious followers of Jesus. Speak to us in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want us to begin this morning by laying out a little bit of the context of God's provision, unpacking these opening verses of chapter 16 in Exodus, trying to ask the question, what was it that preceded this miraculous display of God's power, the giving of the bread, right? They didn't just wake up one day and poof, there's bread. There was something that happened that preceded God giving this miracle. 
We see that here in the opening of chapter 16, and rather unsurprisingly, we find grumbling. So our first point this morning is bread and grumbling. By the way, if you just want a little exercise in sort of theme tracking, circle every time grumbling is said in this chapter, and make sure you have an extra pencil, because it's a lot. It's a lot of grumbling. At the beginning of the story here, the people have departed from Elam. If you remember from chapter 15, that's where they came, and they got thirsty, and so they griped and complained, oh, we don't have any water to drink, and God performs this miracle through Moses. The bitter water is made sweet. Now at the beginning of 16, they're on the next leg of the journey, and the text says here that they enter into the wilderness of sin. Now I recognize in Hebrew it's probably pronounced sin. I'll defer to Wes as the Hebrew expert, but I can't get over how appropriate it seems that the place they hang out is called the wilderness of sin. I mean, have you ever thought of a more appropriate name for the place that the Israelites are going to hang out? The wilderness of sin. I mean, Moses is leading this group of grumbling sinners. And they say, Moses, where are we at now? Well, it's the wilderness of sin, aptly named for you guys. And I think it's important that we just pause for a moment to remember the sort of situation that we're in. If you remember the, the, the scene from the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, when they finally leave Egypt, you know that scene where it's just, it's like pandemonium and they're all in a line and they're shouting and they're rejoicing and they're plundering the Egyptians and everybody's just praising the Lord? That's not what we have here, okay? It was a parade out of Egypt, but here we are a few short months into the wilderness and you've just got complaining and grumbling. The same people who, you know, six weeks ago saw the incredible signs and wonders. They marched out of Egypt. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. Now here we are, and the people grumble about everything they don't like and apparently look for every opportunity to disobey the Lord. Because we come here to the, the wilderness of sin, and hunger strikes, and so grumbling follows. Now, to be fair, if I had marched across a wilderness, I too would be hungry. I think you would as well. The fact that they're hungry is no surprise. Nothing wrong with being hungry. Nothing wrong with asking God for food. But that's not what the people do, right? There's nothing in here about someone going up to Moses and saying, hey, Moses, God provided you know, water at Elam, and so just would you mind letting him know when he gets a chance we're hungry? We know he'll provide. We're just, we're just kind of putting a word in. Got a reservation. You didn't see that. No, what do you see? The people go, and they grumble against Moses and Aaron, and in verse 3, they make what I feel like is one of the most ridiculous and absurd claims in the Bible. Look at verse 3 of chapter 16 again. All right, they're grumbling. We don't have any food. Verse 3, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. That's sort of a weird way of saying it. Like, we wish we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Can you believe that? 400 years plus of slavery, finally witnessing the, the amazing intervention of God, all the plagues, the deliverance, all the amazing things, they get a little bit hungry, and they say, we wish we had died in Egypt under the Lord's judgment. We wish we had just died in the plagues, just like the Egyptians. Why? Because we sat by the meat pots, and we ate bread to the full. You know, we, we wish we had just died in the judgment because at least we died with a full belly. Can you believe that? 
I appreciate Pastor West last week helping us to see that sort of ridiculousness of like, can you believe they just said that? Really? You've seen all of these amazing things? And when you get a little bit of a grumble in your tummy, you say, I wish we had died in Egypt. I mean, just the absurdity of this. Just because they had food. And they actually, at the end of verse 3, they blame God. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, what a claim. This is a terrible charge against God. Because what they're actually doing is they're calling God a liar. They're calling him a liar. And to prove that, I need you to remember all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, God told them exactly what he was going to do. And in fact, I remember preaching on this, and there were three things God said he was going to do. We'll see how well everybody remembers from, like, September. God comes to them and says, I'm going to do three things. Number one is, anybody? I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. Number two is, I'm going to bring you to the promised land. And number three is, I'm going to dwell there with you. I'll give you, as a whole, I'll give you a C minus on that. But that's all right. Maybe a C if I bump it up. Yeah, he says, I'm going I'm to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you to a promised land. And I'm going to be there with you as your God. Well, here we are. We've left Egypt. We're on our second pit stop across the wilderness to the promised land. Things aren't going quite the way they expected. And they say, God, you lied to us. You said you were going to bring us out. Take us to a promised land and be with us forever. Here we are. We have no bread. You just brought us out here to kill us. You know what the Israelites are displaying here in the wilderness of sin? It's a sin of unbelief. It's the attitude of an unbelieving heart. Look at verse 12. Exodus 16, verse 12. Yahweh says, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. He says, look, I've heard the grumbling. I know you're hungry, and I'm going to provide. Meat in the evening, bread in the morning. But then look at this next phrase. Then you shall what? You shall know that I am the Lord your God. Let's again think back. When was the last time we saw this sort of language? about Yahweh saying, I'm going to do something amazing, and then you shall know. Anybody remember? It was to Pharaoh in Egypt. Yes. He was talking to Pharaoh. He comes in and says, I'm going to do these signs and wonders, Pharaoh, then you will know. The same type of disbelief, that same heart that's unbelieving that we see in Pharaoh is now here in the Israelites, in the wilderness. The people of God following the the pillar of cloud and fire. They just saw God produce water, and yet there's still this heart of unbelief in the people. An unbelief like that of Pharaoh. Now, this is important for us because we may be tempted to look at Exodus 16 and think, well, yeah, those were the Israelites. All right, they were especially bad, sinful people. They didn't understand, but I'm different. You ever think that? If you do, you probably won't acknowledge it. You won't admit it. But I think we all at some point have that thought of like, well, they just, back then they didn't know as much. They, they weren't as, you know, as obedient and wonderful followers of Jesus like we are today. But the reality is, no, we were just like them. We would be just like them. 
And so we need to be careful, church, that we don't have this sort of attitude that says, you know, I'm walking with God's people. I'm here on a Sunday morning in this beautiful building. I drop some money in the plate. I'm active in the ministries. I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm doing these things. I've seen the signs and wonders proclaimed in the word. I've done all these things. I must be okay. Because here we have the people of God seeing things that I mean, we could only hope to see as far as just this manifestation of God's power, and yet you have these unbelieving hearts. And so there's a danger for us to do the same where we, we feel like just because we're, we're in the crowd, we're walking out of Egypt, we must be okay. And yet the Scriptures warn against that sort of presumption. Let me read for you Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. The writer says, "'Take care, brothers,' lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's a common theme in the New Testament. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Do you endure to the end? Uh, Verse 15, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews says, look, if you think just because you're in the right crowd, things are okay and you're fine with God, he says, no, no, no. Who was it that didn't enter into rest? It was the same people who had walked out of Egypt. Remember your stories. They come out of Egypt. They get to the edge of the promised land. They look in. It looks wonderful. They send in the spies. Eight come back and say, we can't do it. Two say we can. And the people doubt God. The Canaanites are just too big. They're too scary. We just can't do it. And what happens? God's judgment. They walk in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies. The same people who had seen him, they saw God part the waters, they saw him smite the Egyptians, all these things. Well, I just don't know if his power extends into Canaan, so we better turn around. That unbelieving heart persists. And church, we must not be guilty of the same sort of unbelief having seen the amazing wonders of God in his scriptures, having participated in the gathering of the believers, hearing the word preached and seeing prayers answered, and yet harboring that heart in us that says, I don't really believe. I'm not really sure he is who he says he is. I'm not really sure he can provide the way he did in the past. The writer of Hebrews would say, do not harden your hearts. We must be soft-hearted. We see here in the opening verses of 16 this grumbling. Uh, The question then becomes, well, how is God going to respond to the grumbling? What's he going to do in response? Is, it, is the grumbling going to go unheard? Will he crush them for their grumbling? No, God is going to graciously provide bread from heaven. That's our second point this morning, bread from heaven for his people. Now, again, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, sometimes I think, like, what if I were God in these moments? Uh, it would not be bread from heaven if I were the Lord raining down some fire and brimstone on these complainers. But aren't you glad that God doesn't operate the way we would? Amen? I'm so glad that he doesn't. You know, I would have said, fine, you don't want to follow me? Okay, 
Go look for Walmart in the wilderness and see if you can find bread. See how far you get. But God doesn't do that. Aren't you glad that God is patient and kind? The psalmist says, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because look at verses 13 through 15. He gives them bread. He provides what they need. Verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. Verse 14, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? (laughs) For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Boy, what a smack in the face. Y'all been complaining and grumbling. What is this stuff? It's the bread that the Lord gave you to eat. The very thing you grumbled and said wasn't going to happen, the Lord has, has given it to you. A really cool picture here of the power of God once again on display. The same power that we saw in the plagues, turning the, the waters to blood, the frogs and the locusts and all the things, the, the hail raining down, that same power is now on display here in the wilderness. God didn't have a bakery in heaven, you know, a kitchen, a divine kitchen. There's no wheat in the wilderness, you know, to make it out of. No, he simply says, here's bread. Same sort of creative power that says, let there be light, says now, let there be bread. And it's bread. God is not limited by the resources available. He is not limited by the proximity to a certain holy place. And like, guys, if you had just stopped closer to, to Jerusalem, maybe I could have done it for you. No, the same sort of creative power that simply says, be, and everything is, now provides bread for his people. And what this shows us is that God's creative power and his authority over the entire universe, it doesn't stop when it comes to our daily needs. You ever have the thought of like, well, I know God's sort of like running the universe, and yes, he's providing everything everywhere, but I just, I just don't know if he's going to provide my food for tomorrow. Or, yes, I know God has, is authoritative over the entire universe. Everything happens according to his will. He's in charge. But I just don't know if he can handle this work situation I got because it's pretty rough. Do you, do you see the, the inconsistency there? God's creative power and ability to, to run the entire universe, it doesn't just stop now when it comes to you and I's daily needs. And if we doubt that reality, what we actually do is we end up sort of casting ourselves into the pit of anxiety. Dr. David read for us at the beginning of our service from Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching on this very issue of anxiety, of trusting the Lord that he's going to provide the daily needs. And Jesus teaches, you know, if God loves you and cares for you and and made you, don't you think he's going to provide for you? Jesus, he's sort of, don't, don't you think? If God has sustained you and the very reason you have breath in your lungs is because God says that he still wants you to be living, don't you think he can give you a burger today? Don't you think he can provide for you? The Israelites thought that God had brought them out of Egypt just to let them die in the wilderness. As if God was powerful enough to bring them out of Egypt but then not powerful enough to care for them after that, right? As if, as if Yahweh says, hey, guys, you know, look, I used everything I had in the tank to get you out of Egypt. Sorry, you're on your own now. 
No, of course not. Hear me on this, church. The God who delivers is also the God who carries. The God who delivers us out of darkness, Egypt for the Israelites, or if we think about the darkness of sin for us, is the same God who then carries us through to eternity with him. And the same God who protects is the same God who provides. The power of God to provide our needs, be they physical or spiritual, doesn't run out. It's not limited to time or space. It's unending. That's what we're trying to see here in this verse of Exodus chapter 16. He brought them out of Egypt, wonderful display, and he can still take care of them. He brought them out of bondage, and he can still provide. Now, speaking of provision, there is one more detail that's highlighted here, and we need to pay attention to it. And it's this parallel between daily provision and daily gathering. Look at verses uh, 16 through 18. Notice God's instructions for his people. He says, you're going to go out every day and gather what you need. As much food as you need, you know, it's like a free buffet. As much as you need, eat all that you want. There's only one restriction here in verse 19. He says, get all you want for the day, eat all you want. But he says, don't leave any for the next day. No doggy bags, no Ziploc, no putting it in the fridge for tomorrow. Nothing for tomorrow. Now, why not leave food for tomorrow? That's the question. Because keeping some extra for tomorrow, that's not God's plan. What is God's plan for tomorrow? I'm going to provide new food for you. And what is keeping a little bit of food extra for tomorrow? What does that actually say? It says that I don't trust that God's actually going to provide new bread tomorrow. It says... Today's Wednesday, wonderful, thank you, Lord, for this bread, but I don't really know if he's going to provide Thursday's bread, so I better get a little bit extra and hold on to it. But God says, no, 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 you're not going to do that, and if you do it, it's going to rot, so you can't even eat it the next day, because he always says, I'm going to provide for you every day. Every single day, he says, I'm going to get up, I'm not going to get up, he's not asleep, but you're going to get up, and you're going to find new bread. And I was thinking about this this morning, how sort of embarrassing it would have been for those who kept the bread, because you wake up the next morning, and not only is it rotten, so you got to like get it out of your tent because it's gross, but as soon as you walk out there, what do you see? New bread. And everyone's like, bro, why do you have gross bread in your tent? Didn't you know the Lord was providing? God provides daily, and so we trust him daily. The lesson here is pretty clear and simple, yet the Israelites struggle to accept it. And I think, again, if we're honest, we would struggle as well. The lesson is simply this. God is trustworthy and faithful to provide for our needs each and every day. God is faithful and he's trustworthy to provide for our needs each and every day. But over and over, the people of God, they just won't trust him. They just won't trust that his commands are best. They won't trust that he actually will provide each and every day. They won't trust it. And they continue to disobey. Look at verse 20 and then verses 27 through 30. In verse 20, you got the cats who say, well, I'm just not sure it's going to be there tomorrow, so I'll keep my extra bread. Then in verses 27 through 30, 
you have people who go out looking for bread on the Sabbath. Now, that's one detail I, I sort of skipped over. The only exception to taking extra was on the day before the Sabbath, he says, get two days so that you don't have to go and gather on the Sabbath. That was the only exception. That was the only night you could have extra. Because he says, I'm not going to give anything on the Sabbath. Just trust me, store up the day before, and then go. But again, verses 27 through 30, it would be comical if it wasn't so sad. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found what? None. Come on, people. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, he's not, I don't think he's talking specifically as if, Moses, why aren't you doing this? But talking to Moses, to the people of Israel, how long are y'all going to refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, let's think it back again. When was the last time we saw this question asked? How long? How long will you not listen to me? How long will you not realize who I am? Anybody remember? It was Pharaoh again. Roundabout. Uh, plague number eight or so, the question comes, Pharaoh, how long will you not, uh, let's see, it's in chapter 10, verse 3, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? How long, Pharaoh? You've seen all the plagues so far. Clearly, I'm in charge here. How long? Again, the same sort of unbelief that we see in Pharaoh is now here in the Israelites. Yahweh says, look, here it is, six days a week, you get bread, don't go out the next day, day six, gather up two, don't look for it on day seven, and what do you have? People with gross bread in their tents and hungry bellies on day seven because they didn't trust the Lord. And Yahweh says, how long? How long will you not listen? How long will you not listen and obey? How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? as if Yahweh is saying, how long are you going to keep acting like Pharaoh? You've seen all the things. Clearly, I've provided. I mean, you think about the, the guys who went out on day seven looking for bread. What had they received for six days prior? Bread. Like you've, you've seen miraculous bread from the ground for six days, and yet you still don't trust the Lord. You still don't listen to Him and obey but church, we're right there with them. The question for us often is how long? How long will we continue to disobey the Lord? How long will I disobey God's commands thinking that my way is better? How long will we disobey because we think maybe God's holding out on us? You know, surely God wouldn't keep these things from me. They're so wonderful. How long will we store up all our material wealth and just, just get, get, get because we don't really trust that God will provide for us tomorrow? How long will we say, yes, God provided yesterday, I acknowledge that, but this is a new day and I'm not sure he's going to provide today. How long will we say that? How long will we not trust God? Because the reality is, God is a trustworthy provider. He gives everything that we need. There's no limit to his power, no limit to his compassion, no limit to his desire to, to give to us and to satisfy us. So church, let's, let's trust him. I know it's hard. No, I'm not saying I'm an expert at it, but we should trust him. And if there's anything that we can take from the entire Old Testament, from Exodus 16 all the way through to the end, it's that God is trustworthy to provide. 
I mean, just go and look through the Old Testament at the people of God, some really great high moments, some really terrible low moments, blessings and curses, judgments and wonderful times, and throughout all of it, where is God? Right there with his people, providing every single thing they need. We can trust him. You know, we often speak of the importance of the Old Testament as pointing us to Jesus. Uh, We did that in our Advent series, right? Looking at these passages from the Old Testament and saying, how does that point us to Christ? Well, even a narrative like this in chapter 16 of Exodus isn't just a story about some bread, but actually it should sort of come alive in in a new way, I think, for us. When we begin to realize how Jesus talks about this story, And more importantly, how Jesus sort of puts himself into this story as not just a bread from heaven, but the bread of life. Turn over to John chapter 6. We read this earlier. It's our third point this morning, the bread of life, John chapter 6. Let me read for us again, verse 25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now, let me stop right there and just pause for a moment. Do you find it interesting that Exodus 16 and John chapter 6, at least here in verse 25, The encounters both start with hungry people looking for bread. In both encounters, you got hungry people, and they're looking for bread. And here in John chapter 6, they come to Jesus looking for bread. Jesus says, look, you're just coming here, verse 26, because you you, you ate your fill of the loaves. You're just looking for your next meal. And yet what Jesus does, he doesn't just say, well, here's some bread, hit the road. He takes that opportunity to point them to something better. And he says, whereas you guys are looking for spiritual bread, what you actually need, or sorry, you're looking for physical bread, what you actually need is spiritual bread. You don't just need a full belly. You need spiritual bread that's going to nourish you and in verse 27, give you eternal life. He says, you're here because you're looking for a, a pita and you're hungry. Because what you ought to be concerned about is your souls. You ought to be concerned about eternity and eternal matters. And what you need, he says, is you need bread that gives eternal life. Now, that sort of message is not exactly what people who are hungry want to hear. If I go to a restaurant for lunch and they say, just focus on spiritual things, I'll be like, look, I'm here to eat. Like, I need something. A spiritual bread is found in Christ, but that message is difficult to receive when you're hard-hearted, especially for these crowds. So what do they do? Look at verse 30. Actually, verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says, look, I'm doing the work of God. The work is to believe in who's been sent. Of course, that's me. Well, verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do? trying to sort of put the, I, I think that tone is there. Well, what, what sign do you do, Jesus? Oh, what trick can you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Jesus, you, you say you're from God. You say you're some sort of a prophet. And you, you've got all this spiritual knowledge you want to teach us. Well, prove it. Do a trick for us. Do something cool. 
Look at verse 30. What sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now again, I, I see here a little bit of a sort of the puffing of the chest attitude, you know. Jesus, you say you're a you know, big, big prophet and you have some knowledge, but, you know, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. We're not easily entertained, easily impressed. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. But what they've actually done here is they have misused the Scriptures. They have sort of pulled this out of context. This quote here from Nehemiah chapter 9 They've, they've sort of pulled this out of context, and what they're really saying is they're making it about Moses. They're saying, Jesus, you, you say you're a prophet, that's great, but our great prophet Moses, he gave us bread in the wilderness. What can you do? Now, what's the problem with that sort of thinking? Was it Moses who gave them bread? Of course not. We saw that in Exodus chapter 16, and Jesus picks right up on it. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Right? You want some homework, explore this attitude of, well, we're God's people. We have the lineage. Our father is Abraham. Explore that sort of thinking. Jesus interacts often with it. But the people here, they say, you know, Jesus, look, Moses gave us bread from heaven. That's, that's the proof that, that we're looking for. What can you do? And Jesus says, guys, it wasn't even Moses. It was Yahweh. It was the Lord who gave you the bread, verse 32, who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. He says, guys, not only have you missed the point about who gave you the bread, but it isn't even about the bread. It is, it's not just about coming to get a meal. It's about what has God provided for you. And he says, now he's actually given you the true bread from heaven. Just as God had given them bread in the wilderness, so now, Jesus says, God gives them new bread. But it's not a physical bread. It's a spiritual bread to give them eternal life. And he actually says where this bread is from. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So it's not even like this bread over here somewhere. He says, he's given you bread. Okay, Jesus, where is it? Well, it's, it's he. The bread is he who comes down from the Father. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, you know, in case you didn't get that one, I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus often used in his ministry very simple, sort of just mundane scenarios to teach these deep spiritual truths. And he does one here. Everybody knows what it's like to be hungry. I'm like, stomach's growling right now. Everybody knows what it's like to be hungry. You eat some food, you feel good, hopefully, and a few hours later, you're hungry. And so you eat more food, and then you're hungry. And it just goes on and on. Everybody knows what it's like to eat, but not really be satisfied long term. You get hungry again. But what Jesus says is, what we really need is to feast upon nourishment that satisfies and nourishment that brings us, he says, eternal life. To feast on this bread of life, Jesus says, means that we will never again hunger spiritually. Maybe you remember what it was like before you followed Jesus, or maybe you have unbelieving friends or family. 
who are just chasing after something, looking for something to believe, looking for something to do to satisfy the, that sort of ache within them. The, re, the, the reality that, look, I, I know I'm a person, I'm not going to live forever, I'm worried, I, I need something. And so they chase after religious things, worldviews, practices, whatever it is, but they're never satisfied. We're not made for those things, we're made for the Lord, we're made to, to be satisfied by Him. And the hunger of our hearts, that will be unmet by anything in this world. It's only satisfied in Christ. It is only when we taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8, are we satisfied. And it's only then do we eat something that we never hunger again. That we feast upon this bread of life that Jesus says gives us eternal life. But you see, too often we, like the Israelites or like the the crowds here in the New Testament, we often think that our greatest needs are spiritual. Now, sure, you know, talk the Jesus stuff, but look, I got work tomorrow, I got family, I got this, I got this. We think that our greatest needs are physical, but the reality is our greatest need has always been and will always be spiritual. Because at the root, we need eternal life. The curse of sin has condemned us to a short life on earth, followed by eternity in hell. That's just the reality of it. But in his kindness, his grace, and his commitment to his covenant people, God has provided eternal life through the bread of life, his son Jesus. You know, this story in Exodus chapter 16, it can seem sort of ancient. Like, I don't even know what manna looks like. I've been trying to figure it out. It's like a graham cracker with some cilantro on it, I think, is about the best I can come up with. In this story in the wilderness of sin that I couldn't point out on a map if I tried, it just seems out there, does it not, sometimes? But you know, it's actually much closer to home than we may realize. Because just think of the parallels. We live in the wilderness of sin, do we not? Here we are in the world, anywhere in the world, we're in the wilderness of sin. We wander about in disbelief and disobedience. We've seen the truth of God in his scriptures, the mighty wonders, and yet we continually doubt and mistrust him. We fill our days grumbling and discontent, never satisfied with what we have. And yet our biggest problem isn't our bank account or our grocery cart. It's that we are born separated from God, condemned by sin, and destined for hell apart from an intervention. Suddenly things hit close to home. We're not so different from the Israelites. And in his kindness, and in his grace, and in his mercy, just like a loving father stooping down to provide a slice of bread to his children, Our Heavenly Father provides for us the bread of life in His Son. In the atoning death of Jesus, our sins are paid for. And in that resurrection life, we have eternal life, one that won't end. Through faith in Jesus, our greatest need is met. And what's amazing is what God expects of us, everything He expects of us, righteousness and perfection, the keeping of the law, All the things that we don't have, he provides for us in Christ. And so the most most important question for us this morning is simply this. Have I received the bread of life from the Father? Have I, as the psalmist said, tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Or am I still wandering around in the wilderness of sin looking for other bread? 
the bread of self-worth in my job, the bread of uh, moral superiority because I keep these rules, the bread of a false religion that lets me do what I want and not have to really do too much for this God that I supposedly follow. Which bread are we following? Which bread are we chasing? Or have we received the bread of life from the Father? You see, there's only one bread that will satisfy, and there's only one bread that's been given, the bread of life. But you know, that message is difficult to receive. In fact, if you read through the rest of John chapter 6, what you find is that the crowds eventually leave, and the disciples, always good for a quotable moment, they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, that was tough, tough message, hard for people to listen to. And Jesus says, well, do you guys want to go too? And the disciples respond in a moment of grace. They say, well, where else, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Sure, it's a tough message at times, but they say, where else would we go, Jesus? Where else would we go, church? Who else has provided for his people all throughout history? Who else has delivered his people from bondage in Egypt? Who else provided for his people in the wilderness? Who else delivered his people from bondage to sin through Christ's atoning work on the cross? And who else provides our daily needs now? It's only Yahweh. It's only the Lord who provides. There is no one else. There is no one but our God. And that's why we can say, as we put Exodus 16 and John chapter 6 side by side, we can say, just as God provided bread from heaven in the wilderness, so he provided the bread of life in his son. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are mindful again this morning of how your scriptures are so perfectly written to point us to Jesus, to point us to something better than just bread, something better than manna in the wilderness. I pray, Father, for those here this morning who are listening, that we, all of us, would not leave here this morning without having uh, feasted upon the bread of life. For those who are still chasing after the different breads of this world, Father, I pray that you show them the, just the bankrupt nature of anything that they would chase after. And show us in the Scriptures, show us by your Spirit at work in us, the glory of the bread of life, the satisfying nature of the bread of life, that we would not hunger again, but would receive eternal life because you have provided everything that we need. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.